to Cinebabel episode 55. I am your host, Ken, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, poet, scholar, gentleman, Clint Jones. Tell the world hello. Hello, Ken. I'm here. I've been on the road. Uh, I'm a poet laureate now. I've been spreading my uh, prose yeah, yeah. yeah. Oxford finally honored you. Yeah, really recognized you for the the study genius that they rejected so long ago, and and I'm sure they're kicking themselves now. Well, they're making up for it, and I appreciate that. Well, good. I'm glad they've given us this uh, poet laureate Cenobabel grant <laughs> that we have used to upgrade the offices. So. It was well money well spent. It was. I see that you're wearing your corpse paint in honor of the one movie we're <laughs> yes. going to talk about. Yes, I am wearing corpse paint today. <laughs> and it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I almost didn't make it to episode 56, Clint. And I, I, I can't believe that it almost ended that quickly. I was in a parking lot. Yeah. Dramatic. This is 55. Yeah, this is 55. I almost didn't make it to it. But Oh, okay. I was walking through a parking lot. Yes. And I'm walking up. Like a normal person where the parking spaces are. Uh-huh. And there's empty parking spaces. Yeah. And I see this purple truck pulling in. Mm-hmm. And he's moving fast. So I think he's going to go straight past me. Yeah. Because he's not going slow enough to turn into a parking space. Oh, no. This man turned right into that parking space. <laughs> and I was standing there. And I was like, ha-ha! <laughs> and the last thing I thought was, no, we haven't gotten episode 100. <laughs> And I was fine. It's way more. It, it sounds way more dramatic than it was. It was just this nice old guy from uh, from New York who felt terrible and was uh, way more uh, thrown off by the whole thing than I was. But I'm glad you survived that. Thank you. You oh, almost yeah. lost me, Clint. Uh, what would I do? Completely meaningless accident that might have resulted in a, a cracked rib at best. <laughs> All right. I Clint. can imagine you though. You could probably just do a standing jump onto the yeah. hood. Yeah. yeah, it would have been okay. Well, and I was trying to underplay it because nobody saw it. And then yeah. when I got into the restaurant uh, and I was putting him for the table and uh, my family was coming in, the families we were meeting, they were wondering why I'm just talking to this old guy from New York and he's uh-huh. spilling his entire life story. Clint, I know about his wife. I know about his separation. I know how many kids he has. I know about oh a, a traumatic brain injury he had as a young man that's uh-huh. caused him headaches ever since. I like I know all kinds of stuff. About this dear New York gentleman, he had the best New York accent you could possibly imagine. Um, and so then we go and we all sit at the table. We're celebrating somebody's birthday. So there's like ten of us, and uh, somebody said, "What was that all about?" I'm like, "Oh, he hit me with his car." And everybody <laughs> on the table, like, "What?" <laughs> it was kind of great. And I was like, "No, no, no!" It's everybody, calm down. And Rachel's like, "Get his insurance! Get his insurance!" I'm like, "Shut up! It's it's cool. It's cool. Just just calm down." We're best friends now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I got my hands up in time, so my hands took the blow. So oh, okay. you know, I'm still a little sore. But yeah, but man, that do. the hood of that car is dented in. He was, you know, he caught me on the side panel. I would have probably rolled if he hit me up front, <laughs> and I would have thought the whole way, this is exactly what I did to John yeah. years ago. It's coming back to bite you, yep. finally. Yep, exactly. So, Clint, I have a, a proposal. Uh, I think— I will, I do. Oh, thanks, Clint. <laughs> Finally. Uh, no, I was thinking uh, with what you're watching, instead yeah. of me talking for a block of time and you talking for a block of time, what if we traded off and tried we a week where we go? each other. No. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. I'll talk about Better Call Saul while you're talking about the latest in dark indie cinema at the same time. Yes. And, and that way it's more efficient for people to listen to. They can just weed out. Yeah. Uh, the the take they want. No, I was thinking, why don't we trade off? You do one, I'll do one. You do one, I'll do one. Till we run out of things we've been watching, uh, because uh, that'll make me feel like I'm less blabby 
when we're talking about Sounds this stuff. Good. You good with that? Yeah, I'm fine with that. All right, Clint, what you've been watching about? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely keeping that dramatic pause in there. <laughs> I, um, I uh, have a couple things here, Ken, and um, my list might not be as long as yours, but the first thing that I've been really deep in um, is the fourth season of Stranger Things. Oh, that yeah. was the first thing I was going to talk oh, about. Oh, okay. So then we can talk about it together. Right, well, you start. Um, uh, so yeah, I've been watching Stranger Things. It's been three years since the last season ended, Isn't which it, crazy? it is crazy to think about about. That 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 time, amount of time has passed, and it's especially noticeable with kid actors because yeah. it's one thing already when a kid ages for a year mm-hmm. before the next season of a show. Yeah, this is very apparent. It is, but in a way, I'm I'm actually I'm really enjoying this season yep. a lot, and I'm really actually kind of thankful that they've grown up a little bit because yep. there kind of feels like there's more weight to it in that that time span, even though it has only been a year in the show, like it kind of still makes sense. Like you could go away for a year and your friends have all grown up. Puberty. Like, yeah, Woo-hoo. puberty hits yeah. everyone and they're all like a foot taller. And so it doesn't distract from the show and doesn't feel weird to me. But I'm really enjoying like the big bad of the show. And I really like that there's other, more so than the previous seasons where it's kind of this um, cosmic terror where the, it has no um, name or real face to it. It's kind of like just these big bad monsters. This one has a consciousness and like intent behind his like Kind of like a Freddy Krueger kind of deal. And you can follow what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. Nobody's doing guesswork. I mean, the kids are at, at first, but yeah, you yeah. understand what's happening. The guessing is in a, a different way. Like there's like a different, yeah. um, a, a, I don't know. Um, now, how many episodes are you? I'm six. I, there's seven oh, wow. right now. Yes. So I'm six in right now. <sighs> I, I haven't finished seven yet. I just finished seven last night. Yeah. So I, I will refrain from mentioning anything in that. But it... It definitely ends well. And, well, there's there's a part two coming yeah, in, July in July with two more. One, the first episode is an hour and a half. The second episode is like almost two and a half. Oh, nice. Uh, so it's essentially two films, mm-hmm. but it's it's similar in length to a half season. Yeah. I've been really enjoying that. Like, I can't remember exactly how long the other season episodes are, but, like, every one of these is almost an hour and a yeah. half. So yeah. it, like, has a lot of weight to it. And I feel like they're doing a really good job of intertwining the emotional character arcs within the um, the the action and like the sci-fi elements and stuff really well this season. I, yeah, yeah, it's cool. I feel like they're covering the same story ground with each episode, mm-hmm. but they just have a little more time to breathe with the characters. Yeah. Especially adding in all of these extra characters. They can just take a beat and spend five minutes with somebody completely new, mm-hmm. and it's it's not a detriment to uh, kind of the main storyline. And typically, I don't like uh, the Empire Strikes Back being one of the exceptions, but that Empire Strikes Back style, all of our characters right. are split up yeah. in different storylines and they're coming back together. Yeah. Usually I I don't enjoy that, mm-hmm. but I've I've been really and I didn't at first on this, but really enjoyed it probably by episode three, because then I got what they were doing. Yeah, me too. Exactly. And I, and at this point, I'm interested in engaged by every single storyline. Yeah. And um so it's been it's been really fun. I've really enjoyed it. Um 
I man, I, I don't know if it's season or episode three or four, but the like real the encounter with the big bad, yeah, where she's running from it in the dreamscape kind of thing. Yeah. Like that was one of the most compelling moments of TV I've seen in a while. And it's like it looks fantastic. Like and they're rushing for the thing that will help get her out, maybe. Yeah. And and I mean, genuinely by the end of that episode, she could have died or lived. It could have really gone either way. I know. I was like, I totally would have believed, like, okay, they're letting this character go at this point. And yep. like it would have had emotional impact, but I wasn't let down that it she didn't because it was like it felt very I don't know just a lot of stakes behind it. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. Um. So I, I'm I'm kind of I don't know like I, the second season of this of Stranger Things I fell off a little bit like that was my least favorite of the seasons because it felt like it was covering the same ground as yeah. the first season, but then the third season really grabbed me again and. Uh, I'll kind of be sad when this this over this this season. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and who knows how long it's going to take them to get season five? I know they're ending with season five. Um, I think they're ending with this season. No, really? they, they're doing a fifth season. Oh, okay. And so, um, don't know when. Oh. Uh, or what? Or uh-huh. if it's going to be like this with the kind of the supersized episodes? Yeah. But you're absolutely right. This this feels like uh, this is the last season. Mm. Um. Because I was surprised when I read the thing about season five. Because the whole time oh. I've been watching this, I'm thinking, "Oh, this is the the last hurrah." I keep, see, I think I keep seeing everyone referring to this as the penultimate season, and I can never get that straight in yeah, my head. That, penultimate means second to. Yeah, yeah. and I always <laughs> want to think of it as, "Oh, this is the fina- the yeah. final season," but uh, yeah. I'm a dummy. It's okay. It's not correct. My only two big thoughts on Stranger Things, uh, and we'll talk about it more after you've watched the the last episode or episode seven. But um, I had a I had a really hard time at first because I feel like this season plays more into the comedy of '80s horror mm. than it has previously, and maybe it's just because I haven't watched the other seasons in so long. Maybe that was there the whole time, but it was really throwing me off at times because it would be almost uh, extreme comedy. Uh, almost Wes Anderson-like with uh, Dustin's girlfriend and things like that. Oh, uh, yeah. And then suddenly it would be back to a really dark, uh, you know, she Max is going into this this alt-reality dreamscape thing. Yeah. Um, and I had a really hard time with that until about episode four. Mm. And then it started really clicking for me. Maybe it's just I had to get back in the groove. I don't know. Yeah, I think that was always um, kind of there, but like that instance in the show, I feel mm-hmm. like that was it was pushing it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but since they are playing with so many '80s tropes yeah. and things, I, I I didn't mind it at all. It's a hard balancing act, yeah. Too. Uh, because especially for hour and 15, if you were just humorless and didn't have that fun, yeah, then it would feel decidedly un-80s. Right, and that's such um, a big part of that, yeah. for sure. Uh, so, but also, you know, somewhere around episode four, somewhere in there, is when I really started to realize, uh, and I, I thought before that there were just elements of it, mm-hmm. but this is Nightmare on Elm Street, this is Hellraiser, this yeah. is... A lot of those kind of things combined, and it's less monster invasion movie, and it's much more, uh, you know, kind of creature feature of, yep. of something that's hunting kids one yeah, at a yeah. time. And once that clicked in my head, then 
uh, it was just smooth sailing from there. And I really, really like that. Me too. Um, I'm really enjoying that part of it. That has al- almost made the seasons of Stranger Things feel more anthologized mm-hmm. than it did before. And I really appreciate that. I, I like that they're still talking about connections to the Upside Down and the mm-hmm. Mind Flayer and all of that. But this this could just be its own, uh, you know, baddie without all of that. Um and so I, I I enjoyed all of that. And that that sequence you're talking about, it both feels like one of the the really good Kruger dream sequences. Yep. It feels like the best of one of the Hellraiser movies. Uh, it feels it's it just a lot of things coming together all at once there. And it also felt like they were doing something new with it too. Yeah. Like it you could feel the referencing, but like it's pushing it in a I don't know, in a different direction and there's different stakes behind it because you've spent yeah. four seasons with these characters. Yeah. And um, so I, I've been thinking about that a lot. It's just like, it's really cool. Like this yeah. 80s anthology kind of, and you get to spend so much time with the characters, enjoy it and yeah. enjoy them and yeah. grow with them. Especially really get to grow with them because they're yep. such children, like kid, little kids at the beginning of this. And and it really plays this season, especially with as old as they suddenly have, have hopped to, it really plays with that feeling of them being separated because then when they come together, mm-hmm. it feels naturally awkward. That moment where they kind of come together at the airport. Yeah, yeah. It just feels more intensely awkward because they're they're not only responding to each other because they haven't seen each other in a long time. This is like a new person, mm-hmm. and they're having to adjust to all of that. And it takes them a while to get back in their rhythm uh, and to get the gang back together, functioning like it's supposed to. Yeah, I think it also really kind of captures that feeling of like when you're growing up with people, when you kind of feel like they're going to be a part of your life forever. And um, especially if you go through a big event, like, I mean, especially in the show, they're going through these like cosmic events and that you would think would bind you together forever. And even something like that, like you can't stop the progression of life. And I feel like they capture that really, really naturally in the show. It's pretty cool. And they stop to deal with school and jobs yeah. and girlfriends and boyfriends yeah, and yeah. trauma also. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm I I'm I'm interested to hear what you think after seven, uh episode seven, because seven is is one of those episodes, it it doesn't answer everything, but it definitely spends a lot of time kind of giving you a lot of answers. Mm-hmm. And I'm for me, I, I was so satisfied That's cool. with the payoff and the 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 direction forward where it's going for the next two episodes. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'll be curious if you react the same way or uh, if more answers turn you off. <laughs> well, I mean, at this point, I'm pretty in, invested. Like, yeah. so I'll probably be okay with it. I, I don't have that many expectations cool. for it. I'm just really enjoying. I, th- the I ride. think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Um, so uh, the first thing I was going to talk about after that uh, was thank you, thank you, thank you, Clint. Oh, good. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank already. you. Yeah. Thank you, dear Clint. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much yes. for recommending the latest Apple Plus TV series to me, Shining Girls. Oh, yeah. Sincerely. Oh, oh good. There was always Ken. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, Shining Girls is incredible. Yeah. Just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about it. I think you covered a lot of good ground uh, the last time you recommended it, last episode. Uh, but I have binged every episode. Yeah, uh, almost immediately after that episode, I I or after our episode, you did get through really fast. I yeah. I flew through because once I started, it's great and it uh, you know cliche, but the way it twists and turns and structures and and subverts its own expectations and it just 
wow, mm-hmm. uh, basic plot for anybody that didn't catch last episode. Uh, it's just about this woman who uh, once upon a time, uh, she was brutally attacked and she survived uh, this this serial killer's attack. And ever since, there will be little things in her environment and her life that just suddenly change. And her reality, uh, sometimes in subtle, sometimes in not so subtle ways, shifts around her. And um, and she's trying to piece together what's going on. And uh, it just gets weirder and weirder, but yet uh, just more uh, organic to the setup. Yeah. I yeah. just, it's such a good show. And the performances are across the board, just top notch. Yeah. I can't, I don't know right now if I'm one behind or if I'm co- t- totally um, caught up. But the episode where they kind of give the backstory of the killer, yeah, I I love. I was yeah. not disappointed by that. I was afraid nope. that once they really dive into him, I might get lost by the show and like maybe it won't be yep. satisfying. But actually, I really liked the subtlety of it. It felt yep. very Stephen King in the mechanism of how the time travel-y aspects of it are working. Yeah, uh, it and was they, cool. They don't explain how it works. No, no. They just explain the rules of it. Yeah. And they leave everything else just like weird house. Who knows? Yeah. I love that. Me too. Because if they had gone into any sort of, oh, it's sitting on top of this yeah. kind of mineral and this happened once and there was this and I don't care about any of that. There's this house and when you go in and you think real hard and you're real special – you come out another time. Yeah, cool. and wrong yeah. guy just got a hold of it. Awesome. Yep. Uh, yeah, and that that part's very Stephen King because yeah. he would just set up a concept and not take the time to uh, to explain it to you because he just trusts that you know the characters can't understand it. So why would I sit here and explain it to you? Right. Or Anything I say is not going to be satisfying yeah. in any way. Anyway, so yeah. like. Let's just leave it a mystery, and I always enjoy that. And if you found a house like this, what are you going to do? Are you going to go investigating why it works? Right. Or take advantage of it. Are you just going to take advantage of it or be afraid of it or whatever else? You're not going to sit around and go to the library and like, well, I need to figure out how this house works. (laughs) Whatever. Anyway, uh, but no, absolutely loving it. Uh, Yeah, you're you're one behind based on that. Uh, Okay. But man, this last episode – Somehow does even more things I was not expecting. That's cool. And it, it feels like every time I get a, a handle on where the plot is headed, her world and reality shifts and mm. it, it completely changes right. the direction that it could go. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that could be seen as is just in another show that would be weak writing where yeah. they just use those things to twist the story in a direction it needs to go. That's not what this feels like. Mm-hmm. The way that she responds to the confusion of a new reality um, or the changes in that reality fit perfectly with you adjusting to what the story is doing, but it still feels very natural. Yeah. So I totally agree. All right. What else have you been watching? So I watched one other thing. Okay. And I, I took a little step back in time Ooh. and I, I, um, I caught up on something that probably most people have seen, um, okay. but Top Gun. <laughs> With Thomas Sequel Cruise. just came out. Yeah. With Thomas Cruise. Thomas Cruise. Thomas Cruise. Yeah. Thomas Cruise Early Esquire. in his career, he was Thomas Cruise. Top Gun was, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I uh, actually was getting, I kind of wanted to get prepared for the sequel coming out because yeah. I've heard a lot of really good things. Yeah, it's and, getting good, really, really good reviews. Um, so I thought I'd not go in totally blind and be familiar with the characters. But um, 
I actually, I enjoyed it. Like, it's definitely dated in a lot of ways. Um, some of the music is pretty dated. Um, <laughs> Just, oh, Kenny Loggins. God bless you. Some aspects of it I really like. There's moments where it kind of feels like Twin Peaks era, like synth-based stuff that's it's really cool. Um, First of all, there's a crossover nobody asked for, but I 100% want. <laughs> Twin Peaks at an air... At a, a air uh, Air Force School. Yeah, let's get David Lynch to do the next talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it was fun. Like I I yeah. I was really interesting um seeing Tom Cruise at that stage in his career. And like the whole time I'm like, oh, this is why he is like the biggest movie star ever like in the past 40 years or whatever i I totally could understand it he's very charismatic and enjoyable to watch on screen and you believe him in the in the role even though it's this ridiculous pilot but um i was also very surprised by i I had complete different like expectations what the plot of the movie was i Somehow, totally miss that this takes place at this pilot school. Yeah, <laughs> and I thought it was just these pilots on this ship, and they were considered the best in the in the um, navy or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it takes place in this pilot school, and then the whole last thirty or twenty minutes of the film is what I thought the whole movie was. <laughs> <laughs> so it took me yeah. a while to adjust to that. Um, but I don't know. I really enjoyed Goose. Yeah. I thought he's the best part of the movie. Yeah. Um, but it's still worth watching. Okay. I don't know. It's cool. All right. Yeah. I haven't I haven't gone back and watched it in quite a while, but I just remember the last time I watched it thinking uh that it's fun, but there's there's a lot of dated elements. So I wasn't sure how you would you would take it, but yeah. Glad That's, you enjoyed it. I mean, sometimes that stuff comes back around. Like yeah. I feel like there's been a resurgence of like eighties and nineties, like like we were just talking about Stranger Things. I noticed um, a lot of those movies in the eighties and nineties have a lot of subplots. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, even the love story in this yeah. feels almost like another movie. It feels mm-hmm. kind of tacked on, but yeah. 80s that was in that was in all of those movies. When yeah. you go back and watch them, you're like, "Man, we we really just took 15 minutes with uh <laughs> and then through the 90s, I still remember there's a whole sequence in The Rock where I'm here to watch uh, you know, Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage break into Alcatraz. And for some reason, Sean Connery is taking 20 minutes to break out of a hotel room. And do a high speed chase to go see his daughter for three seconds. Yeah, and it's twenty minutes of this movie. Uh-huh. Like guys, so oh well. So I I highly recommend Top Gun. Wow. <laughs> There's a sentence. To Maybe not highly, okay. but check it out again if you haven't seen it in a while or okay. for the first time. It's it's pretty enjoyable. Yeah. Um, are you caught up on Better Call Saul? Yes. Okay. Better Call Saul, all I will say, I cannot wait to talk about this more once the entire season is done. Yeah. The series is done. Right. But, man, that last episode. Uh, goodness. So the last season was the penultimate for that one. Yes. I'm, I'm catching on. Well, unless you go, I mean, Breaking Maybe Bad. Maybe this, was this the penultimate? I would have called season 5.1 of Breaking Bad penultimate. Okay. Because 5.2 felt like a different season. And this feels like Better Call Saul is doing the same thing. I get it's still season six. Yeah. But really, they're giving a season a shortened season six and yeah. then a shortened season seven. Yeah. Uh, essentially. That's true. Um, so, uh, but definitely enjoyed that. 
excited where they're going. And then I got to episode four of Strange New Worlds, which I have a feeling I'm going to keep talking about because, man, it's giving me such this just retro nostalgic vibe. Mm. And at first I was having a hard time because it's it's a lot of characters and it's new things. And you're also dealing with this weird balance between new Trek and classic Trek. And yeah. uh, by by episode four, episode four was something else for me. I thought it was just really, really good to the point that uh, they they didn't even have to to show an alien uh, oh. to make this alien race terrifying. Uh-huh. Uh, it was just, it was a really claustrophobic, well done episode. And That's cool. um, I feel like I'm getting a handle on the characters. So I'm excited for more of that. But the thing that I want to talk about is this finished film that I rented last night called Hatching. Hmm. And I had saw, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't watched a trailer. I had just seen uh, some photos uh, you know, one with a, uh, there was a little girl sitting beside this teddy bear and the teddy bear is ripped open and there's this giant egg sitting there. Mm-hmm. I think the description was, uh, you know, something about this girl finds an egg and hatches it. <laughs> like, okay. Uh-huh. And and that's all I remembered about it. And then suddenly it pops up on Amazon. So I watch this thing and it's, it's a movie, Clint. <laughs> I High am, praise. I, I so don't want to talk much about it yeah. because I really want you to go in and watch this thing. Okay. And then just tell me whether this is a Clint Jones film uh-huh. or this is one of those Clint Jones films where he's like, it felt like a parody. This offended me. Uh- <laughs> that was a great <laughs> impersonation of me. It's it's super weird. Uh-huh. And it's it's the right kind of weird and gross and gory. But um, I, I I don't know if it worked for me. Yeah. Um, I I think I liked the concepts and what it was doing and and the meaning behind everything uh, much more than the actual execution of it. It's essentially um, at the beginning of the film. There's a little girl. She, for reasons I will not talk about, uh, finds this egg in the woods. She brings it home. It grows to enormous size and then hatches. And this could easily have swung into, oh, it's, you know, it's like a Spielberg, mm-hmm. and a little girl and a cute, weird crow baby thing. Um, it's definitely way weirder and darker than that. But uh, I don't know. think eggs ever grow. No, they don't. No. No, I don't think Something's so. Something's off here. I said that very confidently. Yeah. But no, this, <laughs> and she, I, I appreciate, you know, the little girl takes note of the fact that like, this is weird that this egg is growing yeah. and keeps growing. Um and there's some other metaphysical things going on here. There's there's a lot that stands in. It reminded me a lot of men in some ways mm. that we're going to talk about here in a little bit, uh, just because it has a lot of supernatural elements that are, are really kind of looking at this girl's loss of innocence because she's right. She's probably 11 or 12. Okay. She's right about to hit puberty, but she has not yet. Mm-hmm. And and all the horrors of, of that era of life. And, uh, you know, she's realizing things about her parents that she never realized when she was a child. And so it's a, it's a big loss of innocence story. So uh-huh. see what they're doing. Um, maybe it's a little too on the nose. I don't know. You're going to tell me, Clint. <laughs> I want you to watch this thing. And mm. next next week, you can just be like, Ugh. But let the record reflect. I am not recommending this to you. I'm not You're saying. No, okay. Not saying you will like this. Okay. I, you, you have baffled me this year, Clint. <laughs> and, uh, I don't think that much. You've baffled me. We've just disagreed on a couple. Me. Well, there's another thing I watched this week, Clint, and I think uh, I think we're going to need to uh, once again resurrect a segment uh, 
that that I enjoy, I think you just do it because I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one's probably going to take a little more time to talk about. So let's do a Mandalorian Mega Minute. <laughs> Mandalorian Minute. Mega. <laughs> Mega stuffed minute. There we go. So two episodes, first two episodes of Kenobi dropped this week on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I'm going to tell you how I felt about it. Okay. I'm going to tell you what I think you felt about it, and then I definitely want to hear what you thought about <laughs> okay. it. Uh, I surprisingly really dug this. Okay. Enjoyed it. Loved it. Uh, sorry for any spoilers. Really loved it. I loved it. Okay. Uh, like entry-level loved. Like if it if it keeps going up, I will walk away having loved this series. Mm-hmm. There was nothing in this first two episodes that, that's, that ruined it for me. Okay. Uh, but you need to know going in, spoilers, my absolute two favorite characters in the Star Wars universe. Once upon a time when I was a little boy, it was Han and Luke. Okay. But in all the years since, the original trilogy characters, my favorite characters have long been Obi-Wan and Leia Organa. Mm-hmm. And so here we got Obi-Wan and Leia. And uh, it it worked for me as a, okay, that's why he would go off planet and leave Luke for a little while watching over Luke because here comes old pal Bale and the the other child of, of Anakin is in danger. Uh, and so, sure, Obi-Wan would totally go for that. And I totally bought that the Inquisitors would use that as a trap. Whole story made sense to me. I didn't feel like it was a... Uh, uh, Mando and, and Grogu thing where mm-hmm. you're just artificially shoving. I know you're going to think, but uh, where you're artificially shoving this little character in with this adult character. Uh-huh. Uh, so the, you know, the the adult child pairing didn't bother me at all. didn't feel forced. Uh, I, I just, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I love that Obi-Wan was almost in episode eight Luke mode and uh, has kind of walked away from everything to the point he's just cut himself off from the Force. I love that he didn't pop his lightsaber once. I love that he he essentially only uses the Force once. Um, I I feel like this series really has a place to go and build. And I was also really happy that the first two episodes essentially, uh, that's that's what the trailers showed. The Mm -hmm. trailers haven't showed much more beyond these Mm. two episodes, so I don't know where it's going. My prediction, Clint. Yeah. Is it you absolutely hated this? I hated this. Mm, $100 to the winner. <laughs> Clint, tell me what you thought of Kenobi episode one and two. I hated this so much more than what I disliked about Mandalorian. Really? I did. Like from the beginning. Oh, wow. Like, so they start this with this recap from all of the prequel movies. Yeah. And I'm just watching those, and I'm just, like, reminded in this, like, two-minute thing how awful those were. But like, just, like, they're, they're redeeming force-feeding—no. <laughs> force-feeding all of those three movies in, like, a, whatever, a minute and a half. Yeah. And reminding me, these those movies suck. And then— <laughs> Don't hold back, Clint. So, <laughs> then, um, okay, I'm not—it's I'm, not the instant it starts, but, like— as it goes on and it gets into what it is going to be, and I called it from the beginning from the trailer. I know. They didn't even show her in the trailer. No, but I called exactly what it was I going know. to be. But it, they did a little flip there. Okay, it's not going to be Luke, but they do Leia, and it's exactly what I didn't want it to be. And... um it does it's still doing some of the dumb stuff the Mandalorian did, like subtle, a little more subtle. Like where but the, the, he's at this job working on like this whaling company kind of deal. And they gotta have a steam whistle. 
they have a steam whistle. Like, why would there be a steam whistle in this world? And it's like, it's just, it's more subtle, but it's the same stupid stuff where we have to have elements from our reality to, so we understand it. And, and I just, I, I wasn't into like any element of it. And I, I, Wish I was, but like I was just angry from the beginning. Okay. Well, that's that's all from my prediction. I thought uh, I thought it was the moment where Flea appears. Yes, as I thought that was going to get you, not Leia. But oh well. No, well, I knew it was going to be Leia. Was, it I was knew. Leia, and then it was Flea, yeah. and then it's Kamel Nanjiani being Kamel Nanjiani. See, I enjoyed him. And then it's him. the Safty brother. I loved him. The Safty brother at the beginning threw me oh, off. Come on, don't don't <laughs> criticize Camille. That was so perfect for him. That was such a fun little role. But it was just like silly, and so we're yeah. the, the whole thing is back in the world of the prequels. Mm. Like it feels like the prequels, and I. And I have no love for the prequels, the feel for them or anything. There's just no stakes. It's completely Harry Potter now. It's kids fun now. I gotcha. It's only got kids fun. This is this is definitely not, and and it did take me a second to adjust to that. This is definitely not just the the old man Logan, the the tale of the grizzled former Jedi. It, it's not a, a story just focused on that. It does have a lot of lightness that I, I wasn't expecting there. I am also not in really enjoying that he is in that Luke eight episode eight. Really, I don't like that he's like resigned from it all and like he's. Uh, I don't know. I just wish that he was still kind of um, on task of watching Luke and like he has a mission still. A little more. A little bit more like of a mission in his life. Okay. And he he knows he has to stay hidden because of the stakes of the of what's happening in the world. But the whole just like depressed like hermit is I don't know. Even though that's where he where he kind of is at the end of um or at the beginning of like a new hope. Yeah. But like I feel well, like I didn't I didn't get that he was depressed. He just I don't, I don't know what he is of. at the beginning of A New Hope. He's he's sad. No, no, he's, I don't mean I don't mean at that point, but yeah. he's just like 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 this is his life. He's he's got to stay hidden because you know I mean the the Jedi are kind of you know mm-hmm. they're outlawed and they're wanted and all that stuff. But I also didn't really like the Inquisitors how they did them. I felt there was no threat. I didn't feel a threat from them, especially the main one. Like he was he felt doughy and. And weird. <laughs> oh, he's totally not dead because yeah. uh, he's in. He's the main bad guy of one of the animated series. So uh, unless they really drop the ball on that one, uh, he'll he'll be back. He's, yeah. He's well, I was shot. We were. I was talking to my brother and his girlfriend about that, and I think she was pretty familiar with him yeah. from. I don't know. If it was books or from. Yeah. yeah and uh, I don't know if that all was all prequels to this. So this he might yeah, actually. The, the, it's sequels. So so he's alive. He is. He should, be, he should be. Oh, those were sequels too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Unless they do some dumb thing where there's a bunch of clones of him or something like that. Oh. Um, but he should have survived that. We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I I just think maybe I'm just kind of done with yeah, Star Wars, I feel it. and I wish I wasn't. But it's just I feel like at this point there's nothing left for mm-hmm. me in it, and I I I'm okay with like I like the original Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I my only big criticism of this is the Star Wars Disney Plus TV shows are developing a very specific cinematography mm-hmm. that feels. Does too it feel TV. claustrophobic? That's how um, I felt. 
I don't know. I, I didn't notice that. It reminds me a lot of, um, well, the, the reference there escapes me, but it just, it feels, so for instance, when, from a writing standpoint, the scene where the Grand Inquisitor is stalking around the bar yeah. at the beginning and giving that speech, and you're going to the faces of all these characters, that should have been a very... <clears throat> Excuse me. That should have been a very suspenseful scene. That, yeah. But the way they shoot it is so just sort of um, generic. Yep. That it, it and the lighting and everything, it just sucks the tension out and of that you scene. You can notice that a lot of the background actors are bad. Yeah. Are really bad. Yeah. Because they're all doing like, oh. oh. Yeah. But I, what I mean by claustrophobic, like I'm very aware of that they're using this, the volume that it was, is that what it's called? The where they're, how they do the LC, um, the lit screens yep. to kind of do that. So I'm very aware that they're on this pretty small set that they cannot go beyond the, so you can only fit so many actors in that yeah. space. So like the, the whole sequence where he's, there's kind of after them in the city, mm-hmm. the city feels very small because they can't really show any more characters than what they're able to fit in the space. So it just feels limited. Limited. Even then, chase scenes feel very contained. Yeah. Uh, Leia running through the forest feels very choppy and And they all have to run slow. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, uh, it does not take adults that long to catch a child. Especially Flea. He's fast. Unless children are, you know, slipping through. There's there's a way to shoot that in the forest that would have worked. Her running through the city. There's a way to shoot that where it would have been very tense and believable that yeah. this adult twice her size is not keeping up with her. Just have her going under tables and yep. and all kinds of stuff. But yeah, no, I I I think that's probably that I would have put in the the that cinematography style. But you're probably right. It's the limitations of that that world. But I I just want I enjoyed the Andor trailer that came out. Because it's much more desaturated. It yeah. looks much more. Well, even to the point I got to the end of it and I was like, is this a movie or, or the TV sh- or a television yeah. show? Yeah. And I was kind of convinced they're, oh, they're doing just a standalone movie yeah. about him. But then it said, you know, series coming whenever. And I was like, well, that's pretty impressive that they're making that look as good as the uh, Rogue One movie. And I and that's what I think. I think it's intentional. Yeah. Because the Andor trailer looks like it's meant to evoke the visuals of um, of Rogue One. Yeah. And that then it occurred to me, oh, all of these series are meant to evoke the prequel era because uh-huh. this is exactly how episode one, two, and three look. Yep. Especially In every shot. Everything is overlit, overcolored, yep. over saturated, over uh, you know, it almost looks like a cartoon. Then that's that's the biggest shift I feel. If you watch Star Wars movies in order and you go from episode three to four, uh, four, five, and six have a very toned down palette. It's mm-hmm. not that it's not colorful at times, but man, when the lightsabers pop, that's where you get your rich color in yeah. Empire Strikes Back. By the time you get to that scene where it's the the heavy orange and blue and black uh, carbonite chamber and this red lightsaber that is just intense and this blue lightsaber that's intense. And that's your moment of color because you've built to this level of drama. Yeah. And I, I mean, and that might be why I enjoy didn't or was never turned off by the look of the Mandalorian because that was yeah. maybe pulling from the look of those yeah. of those earlier the three early films. Yeah. Um, but then this one, yeah, um, and maybe that's also what I like. I'm saying about how it makes me feel claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. 
the um a lot of the Mandalorian is probably like a lot of single characters on these vast spaces. But then when you cram too many people in the space, it kind of, it fills yeah. up the screen too much and it just doesn't feel natural. It's yeah, natural. No, I, I hear you. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious where it goes. I'm going to continue watching it. You have to, Clint. I, it's our job. <laughs> it's our duty. But I was just you like. You have to hate deeper and I have to love more and. The end of this, I, we're going to clash in a giant battle. Maybe I'll be won over by it. They'll do something. S- you're yeah. going to bring balance to the podcast, Clint. <laughs> <laughs> Am uh, I the dark side of this? Yeah. Honestly, if it would have been this exact same two episodes and it would have been Luke instead of Leia, I would have hated this. I really? absolutely hate it because that would have been such a, uh, a retcon, like an offensive, how in the world would Luke... Like, oh, you mean that old hermit in the desert? Right, yeah. Instead of, oh, you mean that guy that saved me from that planet when I was 10? You know, the Leia thing makes sense because she was always much more involved in the the galactic conflict and things like that. So I guess it just didn't bother me. Um, Like, I understood that because they seemed, from the New Hope and everything, they had history. Um, So that aspect of it didn't bother me. But in my head, it always just felt like, and this plays into where Obi-Wan is in this part of the, in the story. Okay. Like I felt like all in my head, I always felt like maybe that takes place later in her life. Yeah. Like they, like, and he, and that meant that he was out still doing things yeah. and he was a part of the conflict still. Yeah. And so to that, like he, 10 years later, he's the already the hermit and like doesn't want to be involved um, was threw me off. Now, would it have bothered you as much if, uh, and this is really hypothetical, would it have bothered you as much as if if you just essentially get two minutes of Leia, she's kidnapped, and then the rest of the show is him trying to track her down or nearly missing her, but you don't spend any time with her, that she's essentially a MacGuffin. I would have totally been fine with That's that. That's what I thought. I, yeah. Because part of the thing is I can't stand her. Oh, really? She's annoying. She's so annoying. Aww, I thought she was adorable. <laughs> no. Clint. I can't stand her. Clint. You really can't. She's adorable. She's, she's annoying. Like, she's a fun little actress. No, she's annoying. Oh, Clint. No, that's that's little that's that's baby Leia. She should quit acting. Oh, she, Clint. <laughs> oh my goodness, Clint. I'm just kidding. Keep keep your dream alive. Jeez. Keep your dream alive. Man, I thought she, she was, was fine, good. but it was <laughs> I'm not saying her as an actress. I'm okay. saying everything they gave her to do. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. So that was our Mandalorian <laughs> Mega Minute. Uh, as always, you can find us at www.cinebabblecast.com or at Cinebabble on Instagram. Uh, also, small shout out to a podcast called Syndicate, uh, who also is a Cinepun name. We should just start a network of Cinepun podcasts uh, <laughs> with other people that have sent us something. But uh, Syndicate, uh, uh, I I met them kind of online, and uh, their their lead host had me on a, a guest episode, wow. and uh, specifically to to shill for Prospect. And so I, I shilled for Prospect, and he would like both of us to come back on. Mm. And I think it would be fun. I don't know if you would enjoy it or not. I know you're notoriously shy, but... I don't know. Yeah, this is about as out of my shell as I get well, is with you because I've it's taken 30 years. Yeah. Their setup was really cool because it was just pick an indie drama and we're going to talk about like introduce me to something mm. that, that people don't know about. And so instantly I was just like, have you heard of Prospect? <laughs> so have you met Prospect? Uh, speaking of, if you haven't met Prospect yet, it's still on Hulu and way too many people don't know about this movie. So hurry up and watch Prospect. It's wonderful. Makes me angry. 
All right, Clint, you the ready to dive in? The movie makes you angry? No, it makes me happy. Oh, okay. Why'd you, why did I say angry? I, I, I just happy. wasn't sure what made you angry exactly. I don't think I said angry. I think I said happy. No, you didn't. Getting hit by a car made me angry. Well, you made a new friend. I did. That made me happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Today we are reviewing three things. Uh, we are reviewing uh, just out in theaters, men. Uh, we are also reviewing Love, Death, and Robots Volume 3. And then our Cinetron pick, uh, which is wildly unlike men or Love, Death, and Robots, Lord of, or excuse me, Lords of Chaos. So let's start with men. Uh, in the aftermath of a personal tragedy, Harper retreats alone to the beautiful English countryside, hoping to find a place to heal. However, someone or something from the surrounding woods appears to be stalking her. What begins as simmering dread soon becomes a fully formed nightmare inhabited by her darkest memories and fears. Clint, we went to the movie theater we did. to see men. We did. Um, what did you think of men? I really enjoyed men. <laughs> I love men. You've been waiting for this. Yeah. Men. Men. Men, men, I, men. I'm not going to sing the theme to Three and a Half Men. I promise that. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> well, let's I, – I suggest we start with very general information. I think we're going to exhaust that quickly. Yeah. And then we're going to have a heavy spoiler warning on this because it's going to be really hard to talk about this movie without talking about the full movie. Yeah. So just first off, your your general impressions walking out of the theater. What would you feel? Well, this is uh, directed by Alex Garland. Mm -hmm. Um, who's Ex Machina and uh, Annihilation, Annihilation and Devs, the yeah. series on Hulu. Um, and I, I've enjoyed everything he's done. And also, he, um, he wrote Sunshine, the Danny yeah. Boyle film, yeah. and probably numerous other things that are not clicking in my head right now. But um, so I was actually really excited for this from the first trailer. Yeah, um, I it's was a good trailer. It was a really good trailer. Didn't give away too much, and it definitely captures the tone um, of the whole 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 film but i was excited alex garland's new movie was coming out um so it was one of those that rare movies that were like saving the date like we're gonna go see this in the theater there's yeah. few that very few of those that we do um but uh i wasn't disappointed by it i really liked it i, I it had his brand of weird and was doing similar things to his other films and in that you can feel the director and you feel that his voice in it. Um, I feel a lot like with Robert Eggers that we just did The Northman. Yeah. We talked about The Northman. Same thing. You can tell this is an Alex Garland film. Mm -hmm. There are elements there and, and things, but he's he's inventive enough to to not be limited by that and, right. and to make this movie its own. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I, I just like when a director has a voice yeah. that you can feel it. They're not that they're not saying new things, but you they have a style to it and a way of working with actors that you can feel that um, he has a touch to it. Um, and I just think this had a really interesting take on like the horror genre and in an adding a new new element to it. I don't know. Is playing with like. Um, what was the, uh, I don't know, kind of like, um, a midsummer, like this natural world encroaching and like there's mythology behind it and, uh, that you are not super familiar with. So it's like talking about new, th like old things in a new way. It was cool. And it also doesn't, again, over explain. No, no, no. It, it doesn't go into any, uh, oh, she goes on a trek to discover what this thing is that's hunting her. 
Uh, it's just she's got to deal with it. And in the same way, like it gave me feelings of the Darren Aronofsky movie Mother, mm-hmm. um, where you're not totally sure. Like it almost feels foggier by the end, but in a way that like makes you want to dig deeper into it and question the elements and wonder is is there something tying this together or is this just kind of like a mad dream um that uh he's putting to film um and i can appreciate both like i mean i love the work of david lynch and his is almost just like nightmare escapes in a way and uh, even the um and and it's maybe not even totally like worth diving into what is being said. It's more just a feeling that you're trying to get. And I can appreciate that too. Well, let's start to wade into spoiler waters because uh, it was interesting to me that the biggest thing, not when I walked out of the theater, when I walked out of the theater, it was a, an almost numb, I've, I have not seen anything like that before. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole time I was enjoying it, I was never disengaged or anything or, or, or disappointed or things like that. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was so much by the end, I didn't know what to think. Yeah. And then as I was thinking back, one of the first things that really started to come into focus was that for most of this movie, this supernatural force feels very malevolent. It it feels as if its its goal is to harm and kill her. Right. But then weirdly, by the end of this thing, it almost feels benevolent. Yeah. Where it it did something healing for her. And it's still weird and gross and traumatic, but it brought her to a place that she needed to get to. Right. And so that made me even more intrigued as to, again, not to try to figure out the mechanics of this this creature, but just what is this thing and and how does that play into, you know, this story that's obviously about this woman's psychological trauma. Well, and it can it can work as a complete fever dream. It can work as a as a real supernatural entity yeah. can work as hallucinations or or all sorts of things. Well, it actually, like, it, it feels confounding at the time watching it. But then, like, just simply looking up, like, I, I read some interviews yeah. with him and looking up the green man, which is yep. what the character is based on. And it's just this... Um, symbol of rebirth and like the cycle of growth and and they there's a lot of like they show it in the film kind of on like these stone um the altar altar sort of thing and, that's weird and alien yeah. in that church right yeah. and and uh apparently like over in you know like Europe and England and that's that part of the world like that's a very um used motif that you can find just on houses and stuff. And it's just kind of there. And so it was him just exploring like this character and like, what if he's not just like this symbol of like rebirth and like the cycle and of life and death. Um, but there's some kind of maybe evil intent or or not evil, but like darkness to it, but it's kind of, accomplishing the same thing, but in this way that you weren't expecting or you, or you yeah. kind of interpret as evil, but well, well, and it's, it's pushing and it's pulling her yeah. mentally or right. emotionally. Uh, I, I don't even know if it, like when I'm thinking back, I don't know if it's doing that for one specific end. It's, it almost felt more like a, uh, a judgment process of, you know, she could go one of two ways. She could either lock in and then there would be consequences yeah. from this thing, or she could heal through it 
and then this thing would care for her or bless her or whatever you want to call that. It was just, it was this, it, it, it didn't feel as, as simple as good or evil. No, And no. that's one of the things that I love about any time a horror movie brings in those old world natural yeah. elements because old world religions, pre-Christianity, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, or Christianity adjacent. Like pagan, that's, yeah, the pagan. That, that, those yeah. pagan religions, that's what they were a lot of. It was a lot of balance and the fact that in nature there's there's chaos and order mm-hmm. sometimes at the same time. And, uh, you know, how do those forces kind of play into how we're trying to live our lives? And that always, especially in a, in a very Western Christian world, that feels very alien right. and frightening and odd and you can't quite place your finger on whether it's good or evil because it's both right. or one or the other, or it can shift or it can, you know, there's, there's not a lot of absolutism in, in that sort of, uh, paradigm. Right. Um, so, yeah. And it's like, she's almost caught in like this creature, like entity's own cycle yeah. where like, and she's forced to reconcile with like, the, what she's going through. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like maybe there is no real interconnection between the two, but she yeah. just encounters this thing that is going through its own rebirth and cycle. And she has to kind of um, go through her own. Yeah. It's just like this overlap in this way. Well, I don't that's, know. Is, it, is it preying on her trauma? Right. Is it healing her trauma? Is it feeding on her trauma? Is it like a, you know, a symbiosis kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's so much going on there and I love that it doesn't answer. But I, I feel um, like we also were like kind of taught like skipping over one other element of it. The, just the whole kind of like the sex relation between men and women yeah. and like, and how, um, just men in general and like the <laughs> just like the different levels of evil within men and that was interesting because you've got this very old world religion and creature and and all yeah. of these kind of pagan natural elements and then you know on top of that you have this very modern social commentary about uh the toxicity of men yeah uh in in western culture and it was really interesting because it feels like this creature predates all of that. And in a system that's about balance and where things aren't as easily pegged down, you would expect more uh, equality between men and women. Mm-hmm. And in this new modern construct, uh, you know, men are this essentially a, a abusive holder of power mm-hmm. over women. The, the scenes where she's interacting with uh, you know, these these different townspeople all played by the same actor. Mm-hmm. But the scenes where she's interacting with them, the things they say are so on the nose. Yeah. But in the best way. Yeah. Because it says out loud the quiet part. It says out loud the thing that is obviously there in society, but nobody wants to take a look at. Right. Well, and it, I mean, and also like where it ends up at the end with the mm-hmm. um the generational the, the generational thing and where mm-hmm. it ends up with where the generation stops yeah. regeneration stops at I don't say her husband yeah. like you could almost take it as too like their little each one of those split off characters that he's playing that are different versions of the same yeah. green man are just little pieces of her husband yeah. that are probably a part of him that yeah. like and 
So if it was like a regeneration of some other person, maybe it would have manifested in a different way or, but she's had to deal with like this, I mean, not, uh, well, actually at one point physically and mentally and emotionally abusive person. And it's just now coming out through this uh, spiritual being that um, she's seeing all those fractured little elements um, in different ways and in, in different characters. And the way this movie structures its its introduction to and presentation of abuse and violence and things like that is really interesting too yeah. because you get flashbacks with her husband in pieces. Yep. And he becomes you you realize he's much more abusive as those flashbacks go on than you you first initially assume. Right. Uh, at first he just feels very uh, emotionally manipulative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just gets really dark from there. And uh, that's its own comment mm-hmm. on on some things. And it just I was I was really taken by that structure and I was taken by what it was trying to say. And then on top of that, just from a straight surrealist horror perspective, yeah, yeah. the visuals of this yeah. thing. Again, I walked out having seen something I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not that I'm running back to want to see that specific sequence again, but I do want to watch this movie again. I um, love, I mean, like Mother, like that movie yeah. is just extreme in so yeah. many ways. Like to the point, like I, if something can get me like an emotional reaction and it's showing me something I've never seen before, like I'm all on board. Yeah. And this did that. And I, I love that last sequence. Yeah. It's just like pure horror. And like, in yeah. like then in the natural world, like how it's just this re yeah. this birth in different ways and it's playing with body horror and stuff. Yeah. And, and that's really cool. And I was going to say, I also just, like, there's that extreme moment of the film that's just yeah. pure horror. But I also love the time he takes to for quite, kind of horror and quiet moments. Like, the whole sequence where he's kind of introducing the Green Man character, and she's just on this beautiful walk, and she's on this idyllic vacation that she's been dreaming of yeah. after the death of her husband. And, um, and it slowly turns into this kind of, like beautiful moment into her being again tormented by a man and um and it was just a, a very quiet subtle um of use of like a lack of music and it was yeah. really really well done yeah i only have two criticisms of the film uh the first is very very small yeah i mean almost seconds long when uh the police officer first shows up at her home when she calls in that she's been followed by this weird naked guy that's out in her yard or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the policeman shows up and he's accompanied by a partner who is played by a woman. Mm-hmm. I wish they wouldn't have had her there. Oh, okay. I wish this town would have been weirdly and completely populated with men. That was the only distracting moment where I was just like, and, and a lot of that came from the trailers. Cause I knew, okay, here's the actor that's going to be playing every man in this town. Who's this woman? Why is this woman? Where'd she go after this? Does she live in this town? Is this all a hallucination? It distracted me, and it 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 almost took away from that feeling of of her being isolated just for a few seconds. Mm. But it was just enough, and it was so inconsequential that it it could have like cut that character out. Just get rid of that character. Um, yeah, that didn't bother me, yeah. and it kind of added to this like 
off-kilter nature of like yep. what are we seeing and is this actually she's seeing yeah. these characters the characters as one character are we only seeing this as one character it's really early yeah. on it's it's by no means a you know a problem i feel like i always have that one scene that just every time i rewatch a movie that i love i'm like <laughs> oh, i just wish they hadn't done that uh the other thing is a little bigger and it's it's simple i i just wish they would have gone practical on all of the body uh, horror yeah. effects it's not it's not that the CG is bad. It's just one of those things where my brain automatically, when I know I'm watching CG, for some reason, it goes into an analysis mode of how good is this CG? Yeah. How photoreal is it? Whereas when it's practical, my brain completely shuts off. And I, you know, I'm not like, how real is this puppet? I just it's it's real to me. Yeah. And that's probably because the era I grew up in, uh, or my own whatever. But um you know, this just, uh, I'm sure it would have been very difficult by the end to figure out how to do that practically. But, yeah. Uh, at the same time, I, I wish it was a little more uh, John Carpenter's thing on this where it was just. I mean, know. I would have loved that. But at this point, it's like nobody's doing that no, much I more. Know. And I know. They probably I, would have expanded the budget for this film It's by It's so more much. a single yeah. tier for the loss of, yeah. you know, that practical part I mean, of I'm the all, I mean, I love practical effects too, but it's just, it, it wasn't distracting to me. Like, no, it, no, no. like it, it no. was well done for yeah. what it, what they were trying to accomplish. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, so yeah, I, I hundred percent enjoyed this. Uh, not not in a traditional enjoyment sort of way. This is a very thought-provoking and cerebral horror film. Um, and I I appreciated that the trailers made it that way. I think one of the, the downsides of what Paramount did when they released Mother is they created a trailer that sold general audiences to come and see this thing. <laughs> and it was not a general audiences movie. No. And so no wonder people hated this thing. Man. He's cursed, like so cursed by just being. What was that? Was that like Fox or um? What, who, who put that? His he, he's been a Paramount part. did the did uh, Mother Mother was yeah. was Noah that too? Or Noah what? was uh, it was either Paramount or Fox? I can't remember which, but same thing. Like they sold that as a biblical epic to yeah. church groups. Are you kidding me, man? You should have a warning on there. Uh, you know, do you believe in seven days of creation? Don't come to this movie. <laughs> it was just. Um, you know, it's it's just bad marketing. This and in A twenty four really, yeah, they did that with uh, what was the night one? Um, Green night. No, 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 no. The the one where it's the family in isolation, uh, and there's something out in the darkness. Um, Is it recent? some sort of disease? Yeah, it's it's like a post apocalyptic. Oh goodness, <laughs> I keep thinking we own the night, but that's another thing I need to talk about. But anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, but anyway, I had Joel Edgerton. Um, I'm giving you all the clues, Clint. I know. I don't know the name of it. Anyway. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Same thing. The trailers yeah. made it very clear. This is not your typical horror movie. Yeah. And that's that's what the trailers for this did. And and I appreciated that because I, I think that at least sets expectations. And if somebody's like, I don't like weird horror movies, then they don't have to sit in my theater and talk out loud when they're confused. <laughs> I get to have a nice theater experience right. with the movie that's of the tone I expected. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated that. But no, I I would definitely recommend this as long as you were somebody that likes kind of that weird cerebral surrealist horror. Yeah, that takes its time and it's not giving yeah. you the clues in no. any way. Like clues or answers really. I mean, you can deduce them, but yeah. Uh, you know, you're 
if you sit down and and say, okay, how does this creature work and what's this movie about? You're going to hear 90 different answers from 90 right. different people. I mean, like everything we said, I mean, yeah. like, yeah. I mean, and that's how um, Alex Garland like likes. He was talking about it in his interviews. He's like, I he doesn't like to give away too much. He didn't really go into it. He's like, he wants people to interpret it differently. Yeah. Um, I did hear that he he's thinking about um, stepping away from acting, which is or not acting but directing. Really? Yeah, that's said, interesting. Yeah, I know. Just like a break, or no? I don't. He seemed like he doesn't really enjoy it. Like it's too much. That him. always blows my mind when somebody <laughs> like that's go, he wants to go back to writing. So well received. Oh, that I could I could see that. Yeah. I could see where devoting you know a year of your life to just one story. If you've got a bunch of stories in your head, right? I could see where that would be. Yeah. I hope he doesn't, but like maybe take some time, just writes oh, and then write comes a few back. scripts, then does a movie. Yeah. Write a few scripts, does a movie, because it's probably the same thing. If he just writes all the time, he'll probably miss right. putting out something that looks exactly like he wants it to look. Yeah. So, did you know. watch Devs? No. Oh, no, you I've should. Never it's seen good. That. Okay. I mean, it's very him. It's very him. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the next thing that that we're touching on is Love, Death, and Robots Volume Three. Uh, this popped up on Netflix. It is the third volume of an anthology of animated shorts that was originally kind of uh, jump-started by producer David Fincher. And uh, Clint and I enjoyed, I believe it's fair to say, the first yeah. season of this, uh-huh. the first volume. Uh, it was it was hit or miss, yeah. uh, but Mostly largely hit. hit. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Second volume, we did not enjoy. No. Uh, there were a lot more misses, and it felt very uneven, and it just didn't feel like... A lot of the shorts were uh, living up to their potential. They felt like they weren't like a self-contained story. They yeah. all felt like there were setups for something yeah. else to come. Yeah. yeah, and that was the second volume. I mean, the animation was very interesting, but just story-wise and and things, it really lacked. Yeah. So uh, we went into volume three. I think it's fair to say cautiously optimistic, cautiously pessimistic. <laughs> yeah, I was apprehensive yeah. about watching. Apprehensive. It. Yeah, we were apprehensive. Um, it is nine episodes long, and the episodes are of crazy different lengths. It's basically whatever each episode or segment needs. Clint, what did you think of Love, Death, and Robots Volume Three? Um, well, like, like you just said, I was I was pretty. Ap- oh, I mean, I said it. Yeah, I, I did. Not you. I'm saying um, Put words in my mouth. <laughs> I was like a little like iffy about watching it just after the second mm. season. I almost like was like oh, I don't know if it's going to be worth diving into but at the same time they're like at the most 15 minutes long so i'm not going to lose a giant chunk of my life so i um i gave it a shot and i actually really like this season like i i liked every episode i mean sort of varying degrees but i um wasn't disappointed by any of them except for one that and it was fine. It was probably one of the – it would have been a better one on the second season. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, as one of those where it feels – like, and I'll get to which one it was. But uh, it felt like one of those where it's setting something up and then it just cuts off and it yep. doesn't get to the really, really interesting part yep. yet. Um, well, I, I was really surprised by it too. I really enjoyed uh, every one of these. Uh, I also have one – that, that I just felt like, man, just, oh, you needed another 60 seconds. Like, yeah. go one step further. Uh, we'll talk and see if that's the same. But, uh, yeah, I, I was completely smitten by this whole thing. Uh, it starts fun. It ends strong. And um, 
there's there's not a lot of disappointment between. Why don't we just take quick hits? You want to okay. go through the, yeah, the episodes? And yeah. uh, the first one is a sequel to one of the ones in volume one. Oh, was it? Uh, yeah, they had oh. the three robots short I didn't in volume that. one. It's three robots exit strategies. And it's the, the same three characters from before. Um, and they're just, they're on a little adventure continuing to find out uh, why humans are extinct. What'd you think of that one? I really enjoyed it. Did they do the same thing in the first one? They did the same thing, but this one, I mean, it's its just the further adventures. They're okay. basically further exploring. I totally you know. didn't remember that. I mean, it's been three years or whatever. Yeah, I think it's the very first episode of Volume 1. Oh, okay. That's definitely probably why I don't remember it. But um, I, I really liked it. I really liked the the different um, going through how humanity falls was falling apart yeah. and different um, parts of society, how they coped with it. It was really funny. Um, I liked the characters. It, it's good. It was a really fun social commentary, yeah. too. And it's, it's from this cold robotic perspective. Not that the characters are cold. No, uh, they're they're very they have great personalities, but it's just this. They look at things as if, you know, machines that have never encountered humans and they're just studying them almost at a, in an archaeological level. Yeah. Trying to figure out how they doom themselves. Right. Right. Uh, and it's it's just it's got some good laughs in it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The second episode uh, might be my favorite. Yeah. But I'm not going to call it my favorite because I know which one's my favorite. I know which one's my favorite. Uh, and it's bad traveling, and this is from David Fincher. And this one, uh, oh my goodness, this is just giant crab creature on a boat, yeah, with old timey pirates. And I would have never thought this uh, kind of thin plot would have given me as as much as it gave me. I really enjoyed this one. Well, I'll say like a, this one especially, but a. Lo- all of them, except for one, really feel like these self-contained worlds and yeah. stories. Like yeah. it feels like there's a beginning, middle, and end to yep. it. This one for sure. And like it, even through just the world building of like the ship and the characters yeah. and how weathered they are, you get the sense of like these people have been on the, the sea for a long time. You get it. And like they're kind of the these typical seafaring guys. So yeah. you you know the characters already because just through other forms of yeah. uh entertainment and literature and whatever. So you know these characters and but it was a really interesting take on that world. And I like the just kind of heightened like um sea creature. Like yeah. it's got an intelligence and um it, it was a really fun world and yeah. I just liked how it progressed and uh yeah. And his relationship to the other um, sailors was yeah. fun. Yeah, it was it really, really good. It really kept me off guard, too, because yeah. I didn't know what was going to happen next. Exactly. And I was I was both taken by the, the main pirate character yep. uh, or seafaring character, whatever, mm-hmm. and this creature. And there's there's just unspoken mythology behind this that you yeah. can just feel right. uh, the, the world building that, yeah. that's being held back because you only got so much time. but. It right. And that's good. the like lesson of like you set up your it's like A to B. Yeah. And then you can have fun in the middle there. And like we know where we're headed. Yeah. And then in that 20 that one was a little bit longer, maybe yeah. almost 20 minutes long. Yeah. Um, you can accomplish that. And yeah. so I don't know. I it was really well done. Yeah. This is this is the first of, and there's several in this one that could have been uh basically a proof of concept for a movie. 
Yeah. Uh, because I, I could have spent an hour and a half on this ship. Oh, I would love to go back um, to that world. Yeah. It was so yeah. cool. Uh, which I'm going to say the same thing about the very pulse of the machine, which mm-hmm. is the third one. I loved this one. Uh, so <laughs> it was weird because I got to the second episode and I'm like, oh, this is going to be my favorite. Then I got finished the third episode. And I'm like, nope, I think this is my favorite. <laughs> uh, and you're going to, that pattern repeats. Uh, but the the third episode was just such high concept sci-fi. Yeah. Um, and something that uh, was was both alien and machine and organic all at the same time. And uh, loved the animation style, loved the story. And I was I was just, you know, almost not literally, but edge of my seat with this one because I just where is this going? And yeah, oh, this is so weird and and spiritual and metaphysical and literal and all kinds of things rolled into one. I will say that this would, um, I was not on board with this from the beginning. Really, I did not, I didn't, I was just thought it was felt kind of generic up till the point where it really clicks into what's happening in it. And then I was totally on board and I was invested, but like it almost felt like a generic one from season two where it's like, oh, it's just these astronauts who crash and they got to survive. And, uh, um, but then it clicks into like, and it, and it was really interesting, just the whole premise of the show yeah. and um, the the love, death, and robots. It, like it touched on all of those, but in different ways that you're not expecting. So I, I was I really enjoyed it. By the end, I was on. I, I really liked it. Episode four is one of the most joyous <laughs> yes. little uh, tours of a world I've ever seen yeah. in animated form. It's called Night of the Many Dead. And I'm pretty sure it's the only zombie apocalypse that's ever been kickstarted by teenagers having sex in a cemetery. <laughs> which is so good. This thing just it's this reminded me of the freezer episode. Um uh-huh. from I think that was volume two that I really enjoyed. Yeah. But but this one is just fixed camera, distant Nobody is ever bigger than, you know, micro size. Their voices are micro. It's sped up. It doesn't make sense until you watch it. But my goodness, I laughed through this thing. It was so much fun. Oh, I loved it. I Like this probably, <laughs> I mean, when we get to it, but this is definitely in my top of the of yeah. it. I just love the entire style of it. Yeah. I love that it completely um, like has the entire story of like is is a classic zombie apocalypse. Oh, it's like six in, zombie it's movies like in a series. Five minutes, just, yeah, and it's like it boils it all down, and it's so funny. Just yeah. like and it, it heightens it too, where it yeah. goes to like these like giant. Um, uh, nuclear, like nuclear infused, infused yeah, infused <laughs> yeah. versions of the zombies stomping around these tiny little cities, and I, I love when they do like the White House shot, and you can yeah. hear the, the president just like chirping <laughs> away. <laughs> Yeah. It's so good. No, I I love this one. There's there's no depth to it at all. It's just pure fun, and that doesn't take away from it at all. And that's one of the things I noticed with this volume is it it shifts tones, but each one is kind of the height of uh, its tone or or the style it's going for. This this was very high comedy. The one before it's very high brow sci fi. The one before that is very. Uh, you know, high drama well, on the the seven seas kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would want from an anthology yep. like this. Like, exactly. I wouldn't. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And this was the point where I was convinced, like, oh, this is going to be a really good yep. season. That like, was I was too. like, I was like, oh, three in is like yep. maybe a fluke. But then this really 
even though I won't say this was my favorite one, but it was yeah. just like, okay, we have a flavor of everything yeah. going on. And uh, and it really locked me into being excited about the season. Well, and I came out of that, and as I was going to the next episode, I thought, well, that one is definitely going to be the funniest of the collection. <laughs> then I got to episode five, Kill Team Kill. <laughs> and this thing, uh, this, I, I, it's just a group of Green Berets hunting this machine bear and it is so funny it is this honey this badger. was the one honey badger yeah this one man i i was cracking myself up silly uh at this thing and it's got a great voice cast it's making fun of every muscle flexing flexing 80s and 90s action flick uh that that you can imagine all of the arnold schwarzenegger flicks. oh yeah yeah this and this he, is going yeah. full force and just leaning into the bros as commandos uh-huh. motif Oh my goodness, Clint. This one just had me rolling. This one was directed by Jennifer U. Nelson, who did the Kung Fu Panda movies, which I thought that was interesting. Yeah, because this is not PG. No, no, this is full on (laughs) our like Schwarzenegger, Stallone era stuff, but like heightened and just ridiculous and so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, I love this one. And it's got a really good style to it in that kind of like classic, like kind of a comic book, but like a like a comic book just brought to life. And yeah. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Much more of a, that hand-drawn kind of, kind of feel. To yeah. Yeah. Or a really like if they rebooted like the classic GI Joe or yeah. something and made it really, really uh, interesting, R. really are <laughs> and just in uh, well done, like yep. animation wise. Yep. And this has got everybody voice wise from Joel McHale, Seth Green, uh, Gabriel Luna, Steve Bloom. I mean, a lot of really good, yeah. fun voice actors. Um, I recognize Joe McHale for, oh, yeah. but I, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, episode six is Swarm, and this is another kind of high, uh, high sci-fi uh, kind of story. Um, what do you think of Swarm? This is from Tim Miller of mm-hmm. Deadpool fame. Oh, it was that Tim Miller? It's that Tim Miller. Oh, uh, this was my least favorite one. Oh, okay. Mine too. This was the one where it, it, it really, um, it has a good setup. Yep. And I like the world, and I, I really like the the uh, the device of he's going to kind of stay with this kind of very ancient alien species that's very um, bug-like, and it's just out in outer space. And I like the device that they've kind of um, evolved to be able to live in space, but by like encapsulating themselves in kind of this space cocoon of yeah. sorts. Yeah. And that was like make their own airlocks. And that was such a really interesting idea, but it just doesn't really go, go anywhere. anywhere by the end. And, the, and and they had to force a love story into it, which was unnecessary, especially with like, whatever, it's 10 minutes long. Why? Yeah. Like you could have cut that out and then just finished it off in a satisfying way. I, I was okay with it. Um, until, you know, he's given this choice at the end of the episode. Yeah. And then he makes the boring choice. Yeah. And it was just, okay, uh, give me just 60 extra seconds, flash forward to, uh, you know, however long later, uh, the aliens that dropped him off coming back and, and that's when you realize he made that choice and it's just, you know, these human clones enslaved or something as part of this hive or I don't know. Yeah. Or like it just, it needed like, I wanted it to like something. jump like, cause it, how it sets it up with them, him explaining or the alien explaining 
this other creature that kind of had yeah. come to take them over and then they enslaved them. And like now they're basically just these like worker drones around the, um, yeah. their pod of sorts. And um, I would have loved to seen like a jump, like, a thousand years in the future and like there's these weird human hybrids that are yeah. just doing the tasks because like he chose yeah. wrong yeah yeah that would have been yeah. so much more interesting yeah and i i got a little worried when this one was done because it left me feeling that way and yeah. i knew there were still three episodes left and i was like oh no 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 yeah. no no i was so loving this then came mason's rats <laughs> and God bless Mason's Rats, because that took me right back to Night of the Many Dead and Kill yeah. Team Kill. Mason's Rats, it, it's it's just a fun little story. It's it's R rate. It's an R rated Pixar short. Yeah, is really yeah. what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, like the the little shorts they would put up before a Pixar movie. That's this, just way bloodier. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, beginning there's a problem, middle there's a solution, and there's a conclusion to the the problem and solution. Yeah, and it. It, and it was just a fun little. For sure, and the conclusion is not what you were expecting. No, and yeah. and it's more satisfying yeah. that way. And it doesn't have to be a grand twist. It's just this no. nice little moment, and uh, you know, three cheers for uh, the little rat that thumbs up <laughs> that turn. I love that little thumbs up rat. It cracks me up every time. They don't even linger on the thumbs up. It's in the background. It's like half a second. I can tell from your laugh. You totally know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I, love I, I love, yeah, he's been brewing his own beer, and yep. it's just like they have yep. this moment. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Yeah, they just wanted to make moonshine in the in the, the barn. Yeah. Calm down, man. <laughs> uh, then came in Vaulted Halls Entombed, and this one I was worried about when it started mm -hmm. because it just felt like that photoreal CG, which kind of bores me. Yeah. And it was just a typical, like, didn't we just do this yeah. better in other things? And then suddenly this thing swings into full Lovecraft territory. I know. I was not anticipating that. I actually think this is one of the better like Lovecraftian. Yep. Like I this is one kind of like the um the second one um uh bad traveling where I would almost approve a concept where I would love to see maybe the animation style could be a little more interesting yeah. but I would love to see this expanded on because yeah. I love how they um did the uh Lovecraftian thing it it felt big yeah. it felt really big and it felt it like real madness wasn't like taking place oh, yeah. when, it, with it, the encounter with it. It yeah. did what the best Lovecraft stories do which is you know your traditional horror stories today have a conclusion. And Lovecraft stories were often encounter with something strange yeah. and then you go mad, the end. Yeah. And this preserved that. It wasn't like, oh, let's rig a device to blow this thing up and bury it. It right. wasn't a it was it was just a, you know, free it or don't free it. Right. And presumably, you know, she cut out her eyes so she wouldn't free it. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Uh, loved it. Right. Uh, and it it felt creepy in all the right ways. I know. And, and it almost like really works how kind of generic it is at the beginning yep. with with the, the creatures that are after them. And you it slowly goes on and like it becomes a part of the bigger picture. Yeah. And uh and it makes the moment when you realize what's actually happening more horrifying yeah. and have more scope to it, at least for me. Like yeah. I, I really enjoyed that part of it. Well, they're really clever in the virtual camera angles because yeah. even when they first get out of the tunnel, my mind or my eye is going over and like, those are really 
well chiseled like rock structures uh-huh. that's weird and then it pulls back a little more and you're like wait is this stairs and then you see They're a giant and stairs then, yeah and it just every piece of it, yeah. it it reveals really slowly and it just gets weirder and weirder and as soon as i you know their their temple thing yeah I'm like oh this is not where i thought this was going oh and i love that turn around the statue where you kind of it could have been maybe man-made yeah. like uh, uh, when they show it from a distance but then they do the turn yep. around it and it's got multiple arms and then yep. then like you start like getting a sense of oh there's like a lovecraftian creature attached yep. to this and it, it gets really unsettling yep. and cool especially the first time that chain moves yeah because they yeah. don't show a creature yeah. at all until that chain moves yeah. then you've got the camera sweep up yeah and this just and you get a sense of the scale thing. yeah with the the character yeah. and it's like oh man this is cool it looks completely alien yeah Loved it. and in that way it's kind of the um at least for this one, the high um, realistic part yeah. of the animation kind of works once you get to that part yeah. of the story. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> that brings us to the last episode, Jabaro. And this one, I just, I, I cannot even put into words my reaction to this thing as it was going and at the end of it. This is incredible. This is peak animation in my mind. This one is high art. Well, it to me. really is. Really, it really. Like I could just go to a museum and I could imagine yeah. this on the wall being projected. There were there were moments that it's photoreal. There's there's moments it's entirely stylized. There's moments it's just it's gorgeous. Sound design's amazing. Oh my goodness, the the story works without saying a word. Literally, there are no lines of of discernible dialogue in this. No. To move the story along, you're just watching totally this visual. encounter with this yeah. siren-like creature mm-hmm. by these conquistadors. And you totally understand the main character is deaf. Mm-hmm. You totally understand, you know, what's happening and what the stakes are and why, you know, he's suddenly attacking this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, I, I 100% agree with you, high art. This was incredible. This was the same studio Witness. that in volume one did yeah, the Witness, same director did which Witness. was my favorite episode that one, of that. Too. Um and this is just, uh, I I need, I desperately need a feature-length animated movie from this studio uh, because I just, I can't even imagine my brain, if the writing was up to the level of an hour and a half, two-hour movie, yeah. I can't even imagine my brain watching animation like this for two hours. I know. It but- just... And I'm wondering how it would work. Like it would have to be the right story because yeah. between this and the witness, there's such momentum in the stories. Yeah. Like, and like the, there's a dance quality too. Yeah. Like I don't know how that would translate into a narrative, longer narrative because this no one's this very dance like, and I love that yeah. element of it. And it's it. not that I want this as a. Right. This is a perfect length short, and a lot yeah. of these are. A lot of these yeah. know right when to start, right when to end. Yeah, I just um, don't know how like this th- that's this style would translate where you would get that feeling from it. And I guess it would be almost like into the Spider-Verse. Maybe. But more of this adult and adult yeah. photoreal. Photoreal is even wrong because it's even it's, yeah. even what feels photoreal when you actually look around the image. It's, yeah. It's very painterly, right. the, the leaves and things like that for the trees. Right. It shouldn't register as photoreal as it does. Well, it's and it's not necessarily like in the um the forms. It's like the way they use the um kind of out out of focus softness yeah. like there's a, a filmmaking level to it that's just 
it feels photoreal in a different way yeah. than strictly like it's um, like the last one that we were just talking about. Yeah. Like it's not trying to trick your eye. Yeah. It's tricking your eye in different ways. But what tricks your eye is the the weight of things and yeah. the physics of things. Yeah. I, I noticed I watched this one like four times maybe. And I noticed the beads around her neck and things like that, yeah. just the way they move. I'm saying they're like, how'd they get a computer to simulate that? Yeah. Because it doesn't look floaty at all. It doesn't no. look... And a lot of these, when they go photoreal, you can feel that even when they're doing a cartoony style, a CG film, you yeah. you feel almost like a, a weightiness or a weightlessness or a bounciness to to things that... Yeah. And I think part of it, like I was trying to say is like, there's like a motion to the camera, like yeah. where you can actually feel like you're somebody actually holding it. Yeah. Um, and, and, a, and that makes it feel very realistic. That's true. Because in a lot of animation, the camera is very static. Yeah. And this very feels very, there's a lot of kinetic, energy, a lot yeah. of energy in it that you wouldn't expect from an animated movie. Hmm. But yeah. man, I was, I love just how much character is, um, the main character, like how subtly yeah. and slowly you get a sense of this person. Because like at first I had like, I mean, is this this deaf conquistador? And I, uh, I don't, just from that, I was kind of had sympathy for him because he was a part of this oh. troop. But then as you go on, you realize that he's evil in this other way. Just, just as bad as the rest pure of Pure greed. Yeah. Just pure greed to the point he destroys this like beautiful creature um, who actually like, Look, she bonded with him. She's like, fascinated she, by yeah. him. Here's somebody that I'm not killing. Right. It's it's almost like she wants a friendship or a relationship with him, and and all he can see is the the gold scaling. Right, and it's almost like she's not completely in control of her. Like maybe she's not intending to always be killing, but then she finds this match, and mm-hmm. that like, oh, I can maybe survive with this person, like. I mean, it it's makes reading her a very lot. sorrowful character yeah. instead of this evil entity. Oh, and especially just, by the end. Yeah. Like you're rooting for her by oh the end. Oh, my gosh. And that, man. That <sighs> performance at the end, uh, whatever you call that performance or, or whatever. Uh, Animated it, performance. It's yeah. just, wow. Yeah. Uh, heartbreaking. And I, and I love the sound design. Yeah. Like, the oh, man, that moment where she like lays down with him where he's sleeping and you hear the jewels clanking on his armor and yeah. it's so perfect. Like it sounds like armor. It sounds like jewels yep. and all mashing together. It's it's so well done. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, so do you have kind of a, a top three maybe? Yeah, I guess I could do that. Okay. If, if you got to put one together, I can give you mine, I think. Okay. I think my number three spot is a tie between Night of the Many Dead and Kill Team Kill. <laughs> I think my number two is Bad Traveling, uh, which is the seafaring one from David Fincher. Mm-hmm. And I uh, definitely think my number one is Jabaro. Oh. Yeah, my favorite is Jabaro. And then um, I'd say probably then Night of the Many Dead and then bad traveling okay. yeah <laughs> it was a good volume it, it was, was really good this was this is exactly what i want from a collection yeah. of animated shorts uh and nine episodes i think that's the right length for it i think volume one was much too long it had too many episodes maybe how many sit. was it was like 17 or 18 oh, okay. to watch in one sitting i could have taken um, one more maybe just to oh, yeah, a, sure. uh, make uh, it 10 if it was this quality yeah yeah and least favorite i think we agree is swarm just because it, it needed to go somewhere and it just sort of – it felt very volume two to me. Yeah. And it it would have been a relief in volume two, but here everything around it is just 
And one, I guess, has to be the low point. But really, I think that would be hard to determine if Swarm was as good as the other ones. How could you compare this collection of shorts? Right. Really. I mean, it it really, they're all so objectively good that it would come down to subjective taste. Other than something like Jabara, which I, it just, it's it's such a different level. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, hits like every element that I'm interested in and would, I don't know, it's like I said, it's like a piece of art and like I would you put this like I don't know it's one of my favorite things I've seen this year yeah like and it's whatever 15 17 minutes oh, long yeah. and yeah. I would put that up with I don't know a lot of the great movies I've seen this year yeah. all right well our third film third and final is uh Lords of Chaos and Lords of Chaos came out in 2018 and it's in 1987 Oslo 17-year-old uh, I can never say that word. Um, you know, yeah, becomes fixated <laughs> on creating true Norwegian black metal. Euronymous? We thank you, Euronymous. Euronymous, Euronymous, Euronymous. Uh, becomes fixated on creating true Norwegian black metal with his band Mayhem. He mounts shocking publicity stunts to put the band's name on the map, but the lines between show and reality begin to blur. Clint, what did you think of Lords of Chaos? Um. I thought this was just okay. I uh, there was a lot of things I liked about it. I think Rory McCall, Rory Culkin, Rory Culkin, Rory Culkin, Rory Culkin. I want to call him McCulkin for some reason. <laughs> Rory Culkin was good in it. Nicole. I kept getting thrown off, like that. It's set in, in like Norway, yeah. but they have just American accents, even though a lot of them are probably I think are Norwegian actors. But it's just like just give them a little bit of an accent. Um, also, I was ve- I'm very familiar with the or not very familiar, but I, I've seen the documentary that yeah. um, same story. I mean, it's the actual car- people involved, and I don't know. I think that just I don't know captures it a little bit more honestly. I wish that like this, and it was a little. I wish they picked a road. Yeah. This is. I wish they had either made it almost a really dark comedy. Where they're just like taking the wind out of these ridiculous people's yeah. sails and like making almost fun of it and like how over serious and ridiculous it all is. Yeah. I mean, it's horrifying too. Or they had gone really weird with it. Like in the moments they do that, like the really gory moments. It and bounces the, back and forth. Yeah. The it, gory moments were really well done, but at the same time, it didn't fit in the movie to me. Yeah. So I wish they had like really stayed true to like kind of the uh, philosophy of Mm -hmm. the Norwegian death metal or like black metal in that like they want it to be gross. They want it to be dirty. They want it to be off putting like the, and I think the documentary does a really good job in that. Like they're just like to the level, like they don't want their music to sound good. So they like set one microphone up in the middle of the room and the documentary kind of does that. So it's like, it looks bad. It sounds bad. I wish there was a more inventive director who like was willing to take the risk of like really capturing the feel of these people and what they were going for and just the disgusting, like horrifying nature of it in a a more honest way. I don't know. I didn't enjoy this movie at all. Yeah. <laughs> not at, I mean, not in the least. Yeah. I, I do really dig the documentary. Yeah. I've seen it. Um, this movie just felt um just manufactured. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I, I think is what you're saying. And and it 
It didn't resonate with me at all. It felt like a just a black metal version of SLC Punk. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've seen that recently or not in a long time. This actually sent me back watching because SLC Punk is on HBO Max, mm-hmm. and some of it's dated, you know, to kind of that '90s style of of filmmaking at the time. But it's a much better film. Um, this this wants to be a lot of things, and I didn't particularly like. Even when they were in that lane, I didn't particularly like how they were approaching those things. Yeah. It it felt too sensational. Yeah. And at the same time, not sensational enough. It was it was yeah. this weird because it, it was like it was so brightly lit. Yeah. Like it just didn't capture the feel of like no. like if we're go- like these people are like <laughs> completely investing their lives into like um the burning and destruction of churches yeah. and murder and stuff. And um like either let's take it seriously or like like I said like let's take it seriously because they were and make it feel like the music like they're so painted over the music and yeah I I didn't from the documentary I understood the allure of this scene yeah this film gives me no like why these people care about this why are these people attracted to this why it felt like it could have been any music scene it could have been like at the 80s hair metal scene especially like that party scene like it doesn't feel like uh, other than i don't know like sex happening at the party and stuff but it like didn't really paint a picture of it for me and it it doesn't feel as if kind of this culture is intersecting with the violence it just feels like oh this very a sociopath joined the group and started, you know, pulling them into areas they hadn't really been as literal about as, as suddenly they're going. And it just, I don't know, it, it didn't feel, I don't know. I, it I don't felt know. too cut and dry with how Rory Culkin's um, version of Anonymous was yeah. like really pulling the strings and like he would just like, and it would just felt like, oh, it's because he said that they went and did this. But it's yeah. like, I don't think it was that clean. It was no. probably a group mentality of yep. egging each other on yep. to do mob these. mentality. Yep. Yeah, mob exactly. mentality that they're trying to egg each other on to do these things, and they're feeding off each other. And each person goes an inch further than the, the last person. Yeah. And there's that social pressure. Suddenly, as a group, you're doing things that you would have never done right. if it had been suggested at the beginning. Yeah. But you've just sort of worked your way to that place. Right. Yeah. And then, like, Varg, who is really just gets in the middle of it and really starts pushing it in these in these uh, directions. But, yeah, I just – it felt generic to me. Um, Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. I I really expected to come out of this at least feeling something more – I don't even know what that word is, but I just – I really came out of this – Numb in the wrong way. I came out of men numb in the correct way. Yeah. This was very just, eh. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. So, yeah, I, meh. I wanted to ask you, Ken. Okay. Because, man, these guys have good black metal names. Oh, jeez. So I want to know, what would your black metal name be? <laughs> I like the black metal names that sort of sound as if they're, song lyrics. Uh-huh. And so you got to go with kind of the deeper, yeah. like a, a Jellaror Gore, <laughs> Jellaror Gore orgic, uh, or, or just like moral for short. I don't know. Je- yeah. I, I like Jellaror Gore. Jellaror Gore. Jellaror Gore. <laughs> I like that. Jellaror Gore. Um, 
Well, first, I, I kind of made a list. Oh, perfect. But I don't know why my first Are you going to set this to some, like, background black metal music? I, I guess I have to. Do it, Clint. My first instinct for, like, was Blood Sandwich. I don't know why. <laughs> but my serious one, like, I would do this one, like, and uh, my name would be Cull. Cull? For culling, the culling. You know, I would just go by Cull because— Just uh, single syllable Cull. Yeah, because I think Vorg is a good name. Vorg so I, is good. So I would want something like that, so Cull. Cull. All right. Um, I went far more Norwegian there. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I'd be cold. cold. Because I like the ones like just dead. Yeah. Like this just yeah. pulling from dark imagery. Uh, you could be cold and I would be your friend Cake. But <laughs> <laughs> very metal. Yeah. You know? Or I also thought, but I wanted to be gore, mm-hmm. but with GH at the end, just to spell it a little kind gore. of gore. Yeah. And then I found out that that was an orc warrior, apparently. Because okay. <laughs> I looked it up. I was like, is that a thing? That's the villain of the new Thor movie, too. Gore the God Butcher. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which, 100%, if Thor 4 was not coming out and that character didn't exist, I feel like I would have stumbled onto Gore the God Butcher as yeah, my black metal That name. would be a really good one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, apparently there's an orc in right. gore. Cool. All but right. then I thought Killdozer would be, <laughs> even though that's Killdozer. yeah, Killdozer would be a good name. Oh man! All right, you ready to spend Cenotron? Yeah. All right, let's see what happens. both watched this separately and we never really talked about it. Okay. Uh, but it, I think it'd be worth us actually doing it again. Okay. Like really investigating it again. Um, so come true. Oh, this is the one with the, uh, like all the posters and stuff have the the girl with the, the eye patch. The eye patch, yeah. The and she thing. goes into like a sleep study and she's, yeah. it's like a very dreamscape yeah. kind of deal. I watched this early in quarantine, I think. Me too, yeah. And so I'll, I'll have to brush up on it, but... I wonder, right. Yeah, I was interested to rewatch it and see if I had a different impression right. of it. Yeah, that's the one where she takes place in the sleep study and yeah. things go sideways. Right. All right. Have you watched um, We Own the Night, uh, which is on HBO Max? That's the the one by the the creator of The Wire. I haven't watched that yet. Okay, I just finished the six six episode. Um, I don't know if it's like an essential watch, but I, I think you would dig it. I I want to so, at some point. Okay. Yeah. I need to watch Tokyo Vice. So. Maybe oh, we'll just yeah we'll I'll do watch uh, Tokyo Vice. You give me you your impressions in the I'll, city. Yeah, and yeah. You know, all right, we'll, we'll trade that off next week when our Mandalorian minute goes horribly, horribly <laughs> wrong. All right, I think this is already a longer episode, so I will not bore you with more. Uh, as always, you can find it's us mega at, stuffed. It's mega stuffed. Yeah, uh, you can find us at www.cinebabblecast.com or at cinebabble on Instagram. Uh, and looking forward to seeing what we come up with on episode 56. This has been episode 55, and so, uh, you know, stay true to yourself, Clint.
Bye, Gurgurgor. Jellororor. 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 Please call me Call. Gernchuk. I'm Call. I'm way more Norwegian than you. I'm just badass. Authentic Norwegian metal. (laughs) 